This is Ozarks at Large for Wednesday, July 6th, 2022. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellams. This is KUAF 91.3, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. In about 12 minutes on our show, Marlon Blackwell talks with me about architecture, a new book, Radical Practice, exploring his work, and what it was like to accept the gold medal from the American Institute of Architects last month. First today, each summer, a group of teenagers willingly chooses to give up a week of their summer to go volunteer in the Arkansas heat, helping their neighbors. Last week, I spent some time with some of these students and other community leaders from a nonprofit called Ozark Mission Project. On a Tuesday morning in Fayetteville, a group of five teenagers are constructing a five-by-five-foot deck with specially designed stairs for their neighbor, Miss Betty. Miss Betty previously had a prefabricated set of concrete stairs that were wobbly and crooked that led up to her front door. I couldn't even really come out without my, my brother lives with me. He's my, my caretaker. And he always had to stand and either help me down the steps or watch me and nag me to, to be careful as I was coming down the steps. But soon, she'll have a brand new set of steps to safely walk out of her home. And now I can come out and go up to the mailbox, which is the next street, you know, this street up here. And uh, I can get out without having to feel like I have to call him to come stand and watch me or come with me. This group is a part of Ozark Mission Project, an Arkansas-based nonprofit that has spent the last 36 summers doing this kind of work. And we are all about um, meeting the needs of our neighbors um, through building projects, home repair projects, and other service projects that we can do. That's Jules Anderson, the volunteer and programs coordinator for the nonprofit. OMP, as it is often abbreviated, holds mission weeks across the state from Jonesboro, West Memphis, Texarkana, Conway, and for a group of about 60 teenagers and adult leaders, Fayetteville. Neighbors, as they are called, are the folks like Miss Betty, who apply to receive help from OMP, ranging from painting houses, yard work projects, and one of the most common projects, building wheelchair ramps. Groups from Maumelle, Bentonville, and Mountain Home join a group from Fayetteville to do a dozen or two projects across Fayetteville and neighboring communities during the week. One of those students is Colson, a 14-year-old from Mountain Home, who did have a little experience before coming to OMP. Yeah, we built. I built some like decks, like with my family, like in our own home and stuff. But other than like that, not really. So you're an expert. I mean, like you've done this before. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Colson is part of a group working on a 30-foot wheelchair ramp being built at the Mount Sequoia Center, and he walks me through the project. Okay, so what it started out with, it was just stairs, and it's just a landing, and then it's like just a little bit of a porch. But with um, with what we've done, we put, we have uh, the frames, and they're like at an angle, for, and then we're going to put the boards on top of them for like the... The decking, the decking for the ramp, and then it's gonna. What we have left to do is to put those boards on, and we also have to get it down to a certain point over there. You've been working on this since yesterday morning. Yeah. Right. Um, how's the progress been? Do you think it's gone faster than you expected? Slower than you expected? A lot faster, because they described it to us as like one of the hardest jobs, and 
So I thought, like, I didn't even know if we were going to even be able to get done with it. Way down Weddington, a third group is working on another wheelchair ramp. This group is made up of students from Central United Methodist Church in Fayetteville and led by Kirby Martins, the director of student ministries for the church. Good, Chase? Kirby is on year 14 volunteering with OMP. What keeps you coming back every year? Seeing the neighbor's face when they get to go down a ramp for the first time, I've seen ones that never get to leave their house. Ms. Harriet told us that she only leaves the house about once a month. Um, so just the flexibility and freedom for a neighbor to be able to leave their house, um, just to go out on their front deck or, or whatever, uh, it's, a, it's a powerful thing. And then to see our students just kind of learn new skills and uh, grow closer with the relationship with Christ is also the other reason I keep coming back. Caroline, a 13-year-old from Fayetteville, shared Kirby's sentiment. I'm just excited to see her face when we finish, and I'm just going to, like, I don't know, just, I guess, I'm just so excited to see her face when she walks out and sees her new ramp because, I don't know, I just feel like that will give her the freedom to enjoy the world. This massive group of community builders have been sleeping on air mattresses at Sequoia United Methodist Church. For the last nine summers, Don Goodwin has rounded up volunteers from the congregation of the church to make breakfast, lunch, and dinner for the 60-some-odd students and adults who are camping out in their Sunday school classrooms. I just like serving the kids and uh, getting up really early in the morning with them and seeing their sleepy faces and knowing that I'm helping to nourish their bodies to go out and do the really hard work that they're going to do this week. And they've given their week up. So I feel like I can give my week up for that. Is it a hard ask for someone to say, uh, can you give up a Tuesday morning at 5.30 in the morning and come help me cook for 60 teenagers? No, actually, you'd be surprised. There's quite a few people who um, enjoy OMP. Our church has been um, a very big supporter of OMP for many, many years. Um, and they, their children went through it, and so a lot of them like to come back and help. One of the recurring themes I heard throughout my conversations with the folks involved with OMP is that the interactions with their neighbors is what made doing this exhausting work worth it. Logan Anderson is a leadership team member, and she shares a story of a neighbor she met down in Texarkana. Her name was Miss Lydia, and she had her two daughters, um, Birdie and Etta Pearl, and we were painting their house, and their oldest daughter, Birdie, she, um, it was her birthday, her birthday was coming up, and she went to um, a private school um, where their incomes were a little bit different, and she really, really wanted to have a birthday party, but she came up and told us that she didn't want to have a birthday party at her house because she felt embarrassed to have people over, and um, at the end of the week, she was so excited that her house looked so pretty and that we that she was like, I'm going to invite all my friends over. And even one night, um, our group got to skip dinner and we went out and we went to Party City and bought all these kind of things. And we threw her a surprise party in her driveway and she did all of the girls hair and all of our makeup and we played games and it was so much fun. And I feel like fellowship is one of the things that I have the strongest connection to with OMP that really just brings me back. Jules, the volunteer and programs coordinator, had one of those moments that stuck with her, too. One recently here in northwest Arkansas was um, our neighbor Jamie, and Jamie was living in assisted living facility, 
and he was wanting to move in with his family. He had never been able to live with them because they didn't own their home and they didn't have a way to get him in and out of the house. And um, we got to meet Jamie and talk with Jamie. He uses a wheelchair for mobility. Um, He has cerebral palsy. And we were able, in the middle of January, it actually snowed on the day that we were working, we were able to go out there and build a 36-foot wheelchair ramp for that family um, so that Jamie could come home. And in his own words, we were giving him back his life because he was able to live with family again. And that, to me, is something that I I take for granted, the ability for me to go from my family's houses and see them whenever I want to, um, to being stuck somewhere where you don't have accessibility to that. And so Jamie really opened my eyes to just how important, especially after the last two years, um, community and connection can be, and that that is life for people. Thanks to the community builders at Ozark Mission Project, Ms. Betty says she's excited to decorate her brand new porch. There's enough space I can put a little potted plant there. I think maybe a geranium. A geranium will look great there. Yeah, (laughs) yes it will. That was our mother's favorite flower was geraniums. So we always try to every year in the springtime, which we've passed now, but to to get a geranium in in her memory and, and have it somewhere around the house, you know, either a hanging one or a potted one. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Matthew Moore. And just ahead, Marlon Blackwell, a new book from Princeton Architectural Press, highlights his work. The Arkansas School Safety Commission is considering strategies to protect Arkansas students. During a meeting yesterday, Hope Warsham, director of American Rescue Plan Elementary and Secondary School Emergency Relief, said there is a need for new behavior modification methods. When we started this project, we really talked a lot about our discipline systems, and and right now our, our districts don't have a lot of tools in their tool belt. They really are limited to suspending and in-school suspension. That's a lot of what discipline ends up looking like. Worsham talked about providing districts with training and coaching aimed at improving behavioral and mental health. The guidelines include showing students proper in-school behavior. One such program, Worsham said, is the Smart Data Dashboard, an early warning and intervention software. When you go to the administrator dashboard, the first thing that your principals will see is um, their office discipline referrals, ODRs. And then that even is broken down by their general population, their special ed population, and their top two ethnicities. So districts can immediately see, um, am I disciplining boys more than girls? Am I disciplining my um, white students more than my African-American students? Um, So they can see that quickly. The dashboards change colors depending on if you are disproportionately um, disciplining students. The software gives students a number from 1 to 6 based on attendance, behavior, and course grades. This program helps identify high-risk students to the school. The commission will eventually make recommendations to the state. Governor Asa Hutchinson says he will bring legislators back to Little Rock next month to consider tax relief measures. The governor says the state's current general revenue surplus of more than $1.6 billion, the highest in state history, indicates the state is collecting too much tax revenue. He says he'll give specific notes about items to be considered later after he's had more conversations with lawmakers. He says the special session is likely to be called for the week of August 8th. And later this hour on our show, Michael Hiblin with our partner station KUAR in Little Rock will have more about the state's general revenue surplus. And if you're outside, be careful. 
The National Weather Service is issuing another heat advisory until 8 tonight for our listening area. Heat index values today are reaching from 105 to 110 degrees, with actual Wednesday highs from 99 to 102. Tomorrow, another heat advisory with highs in northwest Arkansas right around 100 degrees and expected to reach 103 in the Fort Smith metro. Tomorrow's heat advisory in effect from 1 until 8 again, with heat index values reaching as high as 110. Please hydrate, wear loose-fitting and lightweight clothes, and if you do have to be outside, take frequent breaks and make use of shade. Support for KUAF comes from Malco Theaters, offering reserved seating at the Rogers Cinema Grill, Springdale Cinema Grill, and Razorback Cinema Grill and IMAX Theater in Fayetteville. Showtimes, tickets, and more information available at malco.com or the Malco app. Washington Regional's Her Health Clinic is committed to empowering all women by giving them the care and resources they need to take control of their own health. Gynecology services, prenatal care, childbirth, infertility treatments, and more are available at Her Health Clinic, located in Washington Regional's Women and Infant Center in Fayetteville. WRegional.com slash HerHealth to learn more. Opera in the Ozarks presents its 71st summer season now through July 22nd at Inspiration Point in Eureka Springs. Featuring 22 performances of three fully staged operas, including Mozart's Cosi Fantute, Puccini's La Rondina, and Sondheim's A Little Night Music, plus a special Broadway cabaret in Fayetteville and more. Tickets and season schedule at opera.org. This is Ozarks at Large. Just 81 architects have been awarded the American Institute of Architects Gold Medal since the honor was established in the early 20th century. The list is a highly curated lineup of names. Frank Lloyd Wright, Mies van der Rohe, I.M. Pei, E. Faye Jones, and Marlon Blackwell included. Blackwell, who is the E. Faye Jones Chair in Architecture in the Faye Jones School of Architecture and Design at the University of Arkansas, and the founding principal of Marlon Blackwell Architects in downtown Fayetteville, received the award last month. He was at a ceremony in Chicago. You don't have to travel far to experience Marlon Blackwell design and function. The Gentry Public Library, Thaden School in Bentonville, and the Blessings Golf Clubhouse in Fayetteville. A new large book, Radical Practice, published by Princeton Architectural Press, shares images of, and essays about, some of Marlon Blackwell's more recent work, near and far. Last week, Marlon Blackwell came to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio, and we talked about the AIA honor, the idea of place, and we talked about the new book. It represents, uh, I think, uh, a journey in many ways over the last, uh, say, 15 years since the first monograph came out, uh, which was I always felt was a little too early. Uh, in fact, I actually went to Faye Jones' house. Uh, Faye, Faye was a good uh, friend, and I said, man, I, I got this opportunity to do a, a monograph, but I, I was thinking I'd be like 60 or 70 like you were when you got yours, and uh, and uh, I'm just not sure. I don't, I don't have that much work. And he, he stopped and said, you know, Marlon, people always ask me why I haven't done a courthouse or a, haven't done a, you know, like a museum or a bank or something, and I always just tell them, I said, I just did whatever came through the door. So if something's come through your door, you might want to do it. So we did that, um, and I have tried to do a, a second one over the years. The publisher, Princeton Architectural Press, which is a really great publisher, and Kevin Lippert, 
uh, who was the visionary behind that press, who just recently passed away, unfortunately. Uh, I went to New York several times to say, hey, I would love to do a second one. And each time he very politely turned me down. He said, you need to go build more. Uh, you're not ready yet. Uh, monographs don't do that well. You know, you have to be uh, at another level. You know, that kind of, you know, but uh, getting the New York minute, so to speak. <laughs> uh, but it finally came, uh, I think, uh, where we were getting the opportunities uh, finally. I think it really started happening after the Cooper Hewitt National Design Award in 2016. There was a, a kind of another level of work that we were uh, getting. And it just seemed to be time to start thinking about how to put a book together. And uh, I needed to find the right folks that were also motivated uh, as well. And I knew that it had to be something that wouldn't be like uh, an oof, you know, like everything you've ever done, you know, throw everything in the kitchen sink, right. but something curated. I, want, I wanted it uh, to really speak to uh, place, uh, an architecture that's uh, of its place, in its place, and for its place, and maybe sometimes slightly out of place. Uh, so that was sort of what we were trying to show. And then uh, Peter McKeith, the dean at the School of Architecture, I thought would make, he's been a, is a really great editor and has edited uh, many books, especially for like Johanny Palazma, the, the Finnish architect. Uh, and then Jonathan Bolkins, who's uh, our, my former studio director, who's now uh, teaches at the university, but uh, an excellent writer and editor. And the two of them together, you know, we can be the editors uh, for this. Uh, and Peter came up with the idea of radical practice. And I thought, wow, geez, I, I've been called a radical ruralist by the uh, Royal Institute of British Architects the years ago. Rules. The radical, you know, what else can you be if you're in Arkansas, right? right you know, right. Yeah, a regionalist or something. You know, you never can be just who you are. <laughs> they have to put labels on you. But I thought that was an interesting thing. I said, well, "What do you mean by that?" And he says, "Well, radical is it's, is often it originally is about roots. You know, being rooted uh, in the place, uh, and not just about this uh, the term. You know, being something you know novel or innovative or whatever. That's uh, a relatively pushing recent against. pushing yeah. against, but radical is really being about being in uh, rooted in something with the fundamentals. And I thought, oh yeah, that's the, well, that's exactly what we're doing, you know. Uh, so it seemed to fit, and I think would create a little bit of uh, 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 curiosity by folks like, what radical practice, Arkansas, you know. Uh, and then of course uh, we got together with Doxa, uh, Tim Walker, uh, Tony Steck. Uh, really great graphic designers uh, who was a former client of mine. Uh, and uh, they came up with the des book design. So we actually went against Princeton. We hired our own book designer. We said, no, we're not going to use your book designer. Not, they have great ones, but we're like, nope. Uh, and because I felt it really important. Of course, it's during uh, the pandemic. Mm -hmm. so I said, I need to have somebody here, you know, a few blocks away, because we had to all hunker down and work through this. And this, uh, in some way, is the most positive thing that came out of the pandemic for us because uh, it's a labor of love and we, uh, uh, you know, we really poured over it. We really had the time to kind of study this and curate it properly. Uh, not every project's in there. It's only 13 projects. But then we had the opportunity of all the relationships that have built over the last 20 years, uh, really fantastic architects, landscape architects, uh, artists, uh, uh, owners, mm -hmm. uh, clients, 
uh, to weigh in, to offer some insight about the work from a personal standpoint. And so there are uh, about 14, 15 essays uh, that cut across uh, the discipline uh, who've, uh, you know, short essays, 500 to 1,000 words that help articulate this too. And then finally, the last ingredient in, in the roux that makes this great gumbo uh, is Tim the Hursley, Hursley, Tim Hursley. The photographer. The photographer. Oh, and uh, I've been working for Tim for 20-plus years. Uh, I think he's brilliant. He's the most wonderfully strange person I know uh, who I, I love. And I told Tim, I said, we're not just going to feature the photographs of our buildings that you've been doing. I want to fe- feature the work that you're doing uh, in Arkansas, in the Delta, documenting uh, these uh, the forces of culture and nature and time on the built environment uh, that uh, both our industrial, rural landscape as well as our small town, crossroads landscapes, uh, the sort of flotsam and jetsam of, uh, of, of our state in a way. And so that also threads through this to kind of remind you that uh, everything isn't okay. You know? I love his photographs, and it's from towns like Scott and yeah. Dermot. There's a, a picture of a, a business in Dermot, Arkansas. Yes. And you don't have to know anything else about it. Yes. It's just the whole story is right there. It's, it's all right there. And, and these are places waiting that have a beauty of their own. They've, they've, they've kind of developed the ticks and wrinkles that – you know, like your grandfather or grandmother does over time that builds character and age, but they're also looking for revitalization and there's opportunity. So in these, uh, the sort of detritus uh, of, of, uh, of our place is opportunity and hope. And, and it kind of encapsulates uh, in some ways what we're trying to do, which is build an atmosphere of hope to build architecture of the highest order in places you might least expect to find it. Speaking of hope, there are two projects here that just jump out to me when I hear that word. One is Porch Dog mm-hmm. in Biloxi, Mississippi, because that's in response to a changing climate. That's How right. How do you build affordable homes? And then the other is one of my favorite places to ever be, the Gentry Public Library. Yes. Which was, And so you've been there. Yeah. Oh, lovely, yeah. lovely. Well, and, 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 and the task was, you know, this is not a town that has a lot of money. No. But let's respect what a library can be while respecting what Gentry is and will be. Absolutely, absolutely, and that and you know that project's fifteen years old, but I still show it in my lectures because it touches people uh, because it's like they recognize their place, their town, or even their their uh, childhood or whatever in the town of Gentry, right? Which is uh, a lovely town and uh, with its main street, and it's seen better times uh, at the time we were working there, and they could have easily done a library out on the edge of town in a metal building, like. You know, and they had a vision. The Jim Ferguson, they had the library board. You had Wes Hogue, the mayor at the time, uh, and others that were like, "No, we want to build on Main Street." And they had this old mercantile building, hundred-year-old mercantile building that had gotten for practically nothing from the Carl family. Um, and they said, "This is where we want to build a library and uh, and a community room." And my first response is, "Well, yeah, why don't we tear it down because <laughs> it looks pretty rough. It was all windows blown out and boarded up and." bricks blown off and had been patched together over storms and things. And they were like, just, you know, <laughs> offended. You know, I was yeah. like, no, you don't get it. This has uh, been the, you know, very sentimental about it. It's been the socioeconomic hub of our small town for many years. And so he so said, we want a new identity, but we don't want a fake history. I think just what, what can you do? And so that we came up with the idea of not doing much 
you know, and really leaving those ticks and wrinkles and coming up with a whole new uh, language of doors and windows and columns to give it uh, a new expressive character. And it's uh, been a real success. And Porch Dog and Biloxi. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that that was a response to a, a kind of a Darwinian moment, right? I mean, climate-wise with uh, Katrina uh, and uh, Architecture Humanity uh, had come into Biloxi and was developing a model home program to give uh, families that uh, have lived in Biloxi for generations the opportunity to rebuild, but in response to the new FEMA regulations uh, where you have to now build up above uh, the flood, you know, up anywhere from 6 to 11 feet above the storm surge. And what does that mean in a town? You know, from what does that mean socially? What does it mean urbanistically uh, in a city? Uh, so we took on that challenge and submitted some design, and uh, one of them was selected by a, a family, a Richard Tyler. Uh, it was a single father with three kids. And, uh, you know, we had to present, we had models and drawings, and all the architects were in a, a disaster tent, basically. And they had this, brought in these families who were qualified, but they, you didn't know who they were. Mm. So they were in the crowd, and they were just coming and looking. And then they got back together with the organizer and said, I like that home. And then they came up with the money to build it. And, of course, and then the university also contributed, too, which is really important. Uh, and we got that prototype built for a market rate. And here's how you could build. And uh, and then, of course, uh, to our surprise, it uh, got all its attention, was exhibited, you know, in, uh, in, in London and uh, award-winning and all that. But it, it, it created an, an alternative model. And it was in opposition to the new urbanist proposal, which was just put little, you know, Victorian homes on stilts. You know, it was about all they could come up with. Uh, and uh, we were like, well, let's ask the question, how might it be otherwise? How would you build for this? And uh, it's done quite well uh, over the over the last 12 years. When I hear you tell the stories, and I read some of the essays, the best architecture, you've got to have architects. You, but you've got to have clients or owners oh, that yeah, have absolutely. vision, too. Like you yeah. said, you could have put a library on the outskirts of town. Yeah. You could do a clinic that is cookie-cutter. Yeah. But you have people come to you and say, we don't want that. We want yeah. our clients, our partners to feel warm yeah, at well, home. Well, the, you know, I don't know if it's that uh, uh, quite like that exactly. I, what I find and why I love working here is I have clients uh, and all kinds of clients, clients that have never worked with an architect uh, or, or clients, uh, you know, that have, you know, like Alice and stuff. They've worked with architects. They know how to work. But they often don't know what they want, mm. but they know what they don't want, Okay, which is what everybody else has. So they want something that, you know, is, again, creates dignity, uh, creates a, an enrichment of the day-to-day life of, of folks that will come here. But they also want something that is unique and, to its, and, and again, as I said earlier, of its place. So we, we like to think what we do is strangely familiar. So we're really looking at the local form uh, that we have here in uh, the Ozarks uh, and, then int- and then taking our – our knowledge of the contemporary language, the modern language of architecture, and then combining those. And then through abstraction, able to find something that, again, is both uh, in its place and of its place, but uh, can be sometimes a little out of place. Like, oh, I'm, I like that. It's kind of dip- And so, you know, like the Harvey Medical Clinic uh, uh, was a contemporary uh, response to the, you know, the, the idea of the Red Barn that used to be, uh, if you remember, that was all farmland when we used to drive up through Rogers, and then it becomes this uh, kind of suburban development, you know, uh, you know, shopping centers and 
uh, medical centers and all kinds of stuff. It comes suburbia, or what we like to call ruburbia. Right. It was rural and now suburban. And, you know, you could frown on that, but our thought was, well, how do we take the suburban condition and elevate that? And so we you know, made a building that's as much about the cars as about the people. And uh, it, uh, it uh, uh, is really a, kind of like a, a, a new species of suburban architecture, <laughs> so to speak. And uh, I, I think uh, a lot of people call it the WTF building. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. But, you know, what the heck? The, the thing is that Dr. Uh, Bryant, uh, who came to us, uh, first of all, we wouldn't have had been able to do that building without uh, Crystal Bridges. Crystal Bridges is a game changer here because it brought into that conversation of art, architecture, and nature, right, the intersection of those. So I have clients now that are willing to talk about that, where before it's like you need somebody, uh, some folks to kind of break the mold and say it's okay, and then you can have that discussion. And so he, when he came, it's like, yeah, I, I, I want to talk about this thing being a – a figure in the uh, an abstract figure or having a, a component of art he commissioned several art pieces an indigenous landscape you know the Stuart Fulbright uh, worked with us on that and it's been fantastic for his practice and the uh, you know and the uh, the patients that come there it's not a, just about treatment it's about well-being that he's been able to promote as well and the building you know is a uh, and the staff loves it as well so they love going they have their own separate interests their own a kind of very strategic way of working with the clients. When you, with the patients, when you go in there, if you've ever been a pediatric clinic, it is chaos, typically. Yeah. You go in here, and what uh, Ati was able to do with the interiors and stuff is do it in such a way that it's it's almost zen-like. You know, we kind of uh, really work to get an efficiency in the plan that people aren't stumbling over each other. You know, and it's it's a great environment. Uh, and I think Children's Hospital has now bought it, bought yeah. the practice and is uh, keeping it as is, I hope. <laughs> uh, and uh, But uh, continuing uh, the vitality of this uh, practice. I was just a couple weeks ago, I was in Thaden School really for yeah. the first time. Ah, yes. I instantly forgot it was a school. And to me, someone who didn't really like school, that's mm. the highest compliment. Yeah. I, it, what did you think it was? <laughs> well, you just, you don't, you, you go in and you forget it's, anything but what it is being at the time. What it is, yeah. And, yeah. and I went into the, uh, I guess, the auditorium. Yes, the performance center. The performance center. And I was wowed, and then it did its job as a performance center. And I, ah. do, I can't enunciate any more than the acoustics worked, and everyone was just in the moment when we were yes. there yes. doing what we were doing. That's a great space. Yeah. And, and it's all articulated with Arkansas red oak uh, plywood and then with this wonderful window that was I was inspired by when I was in, in uh, Rome, and I brought that inspiration back. But uh, you know, you you have this beautiful window that frames the sky, you know, and uh, and then the performance and the acoustics are fantastic. We worked uh, with the same uh, uh, theater consultant that did Theater Squared, uh, mm-hmm. Charcoal Blue, uh, and they did a fantastic job. But yeah, it's it, that school is uh, really emblematic of the curriculum that they have the the sort of maker project based curriculum, uh, and it really combines, uh, you know, the ordinary, you know, with, you know, like plywood and just ordinary plywood with metal skin with, you know, really uh, uh, lovely uh, form making that is really inspired by everything from chicken houses to barns and those sorts of things that we tend to look at. Uh, but then introduces a whole nother kind of thought about how you introduce color to a building. So we worked with uh, PPG, who uh, handles all the color codes for every automobile. Uh, and Sherwin-Williams, 
And each one of the those buildings is a custom uh, automotive body paint color. Wow. Uh, and then we use gold metal flake uh, to get the flip-flop uh, in the building. So when you move around the buildings, they change. Uh, and uh, we used a, a 67 Shelby GT, green gold, a 71 Camaro, uh, uh, you know, a, kind of a, a gold green. And, you know, had a lot of fun, too, of uh, kind of melding those buildings with the, the beautiful landscape that Andrew Pogon did. So they the greens kind of match up perfectly with the prairie grasses and stuff. So had a lot of fun with that of how to be very particular that a school could be not generic, not kind of numbingly instrumental or systematic like a lot of schools can be, uh, to, to really delight into similarity and variety and that every space can be different. Uh, it's been just a week when we're talking since you received the gold medal. Yes. What was that like? Well, uh, as I've told people, you know, with the pandemic, it's got two years in the right. making. I've had, probably had the longest celebration of uh, anybody has had the old medal. I, I felt like I've was been in the pole position at a NASCAR race for <laughs> for two years. And they finally raised the flag, but no, it was great to finally see it uh, happen and to be uh, part of that uh, you know that presentation and to kind of follow in the legacy of Faye with that. Uh, it it was you know I feel like I, I you know I said it at the time that we it was announced that we received it. I'd say it now. It I felt like it just a huge win for the South and for the heartland, for a lot of folks like myself with, you know, small firms that are in the trenches every day just working their butts off, uh, trying to do the best work and to uh, uh, enrich the, the lives of citizens, you know, where they live and, and really, uh, you know, uh, make a better community uh, through architecture. So that was a great win. There's only been three gold medalists from the South uh, yeah. and, uh, and two of them from Fayetteville, Arkansas. So uh, that was huge. It's finally good to have it put around your neck, and, and it is solid gold. That's, wow. <laughs> that's which is uh, that was that was kind of cool. So, uh, yeah, I got I got a new suit made. I don't really wear suits much. <laughs> I got a new suit made, and I was I was ready for it. So it was great, and we had three days of festivities and celebration, and um, it was just uh, it felt really good to be surrounded by friends and family uh, to celebrate together, uh, and uh, it's something I'll never forget. And uh, hopefully can live up to uh, as, 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 as we move on. Finally, you mentioned that you've been called a, a, a radical... Ruralist. A radical ruralist, yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm thinking to conversations that I've heard with George Dombeck or Donald Harrington, where yeah. they're a regional author. They're a great Southern author. Yeah. I actually read a biography of Louise Thayden not too long ago that yeah. called her a Southern aviator, as if... Yeah. yeah, it's all you can be, you know. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I've been fighting that ever since I... I I'm, you know, say I'm originally from Alabama, but I've been fighting ever since I've moved to Arkansas. It's like you could never be uh, anything uh, other than where you're at. And it's like, well, no, there's lots of examples uh, of uh, folks that uh, have taken the, the bounty, really, of uh, their culture and place and, and translated that to something that's more universal, that people can enjoy from wherever they're at. And uh, yeah, I, I kind of laugh at it. It's kind of, uh, uh, what's that old Elvis Costello saying I, I, from a song? I, I used to be disgusted, but now I'm just trying to be amused. Exactly, so yes. I, I'm just, I was sort of abused by it. You know, when I hear it, it's like, oh, yeah. So so that's that's why we, in this new monograph, we're like, screw this. It's radical practice. Make out of it. Figure that out. You know, and, uh, and, and, and 
you know, uh, Robert Irwin, the, the the really famous artist, and I told him I was kind of bemoaning the fact that uh, getting called a regionalist, and so oh, there are worse things to be called, you know. And he said that's that's a good thing, but I I think uh, now I I think that we we're American, and winning. Uh, I just wanted to say that uh, I've tried to tell folks when I uh, talk to audiences that. Uh, winning the gold medal, getting the recognition uh, that uh, we're getting, and I think that other firms are, are getting here in the South, in the heartland, uh, in some ways unites the country, right? Because there is this predilection for the East Coast or the West Coast that only culture and art and those sorts of things happen. And when the recognition happens here, you know, the things that are happening here in Crystal Bridge, you know, these other sorts of art-focused uh, things— in some ways, it pulls the country together, right? It's it's the the void that starts to be infilled, backfilled, with oh yeah, we're all one here. We're not just these little pockets of culture, you know. And then it's a wasteland. Actually, it's right the opposite. And uh, so that's what I have argued for, and I can continue to do so, and uh, get people to you know change their own mindsets because uh, most people just know what they're surrounded by. You know, that's the reality and. So we're just trying to say, well, here's another way to do it and expand their reality and elevate it. And uh, and it doesn't matter where you are. You should be able to – I'll end this <laughs> finally with uh, our mantra, which is architecture can happen anywhere at any scale, at any budget, and for anyone. And that's the way it should be, and it should not just matter about whether you're from New York, L.A., or Fayetteville. Marlon, thanks for coming in. You bet. It's a pleasure. Marlon Blackwell visited the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio last week. The new book surveying his work is Radical Practice, published by Princeton Architectural Press. Miss You Like Hell, a fresh take on the American Road Story, is currently on stage at Theater Squared, now through July 10th. Miss You Like Hell follows a mother-daughter duo through a road trip across a changing America and delves into the wealth of humor, mystery, and gravity at the center of their relationship theater2.org for tickets and more information. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. KUAF is supported by Penguin Ed's Barbecue, open for curbside pickup seven days a week at Mission and Crossover in Fayetteville, and open seven days a week with dine-in, patio, and curbside pickup at the historic B&B location. PenguinEds.com for menus and more. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. The nonprofit Mount Sequoia Center in Fayetteville recently unveiled three new outdoor art installations. After the ribbon cuttings, the center's president also announced the formation of a new after-school arts program starting in August, created especially for LGBTQ plus kids. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports. The first of three art installations unveiled this sultry summer Saturday afternoon is perched across from a historic overlook known as Vesper Point on the grounds of Mount Sequoia Center. The piece is titled Wedding Arch, created by Fayetteville artist Eugene Sargent. Center President and CEO Emily Gentry cuts the ribbon. The second installation, Dogwoods and Birds, created by Tehran native and U of A art student Ziba Rajabi, installed on a dining hall exterior wall, is comprised of woven pieces of brightly painted fabric. Three, 
A third art installation is a really fun mural titled Greetings, painted on a central parking lot retaining wall by U of A art professor Jody Travis Thompson. The mural is meant to welcome all to Mount Sequoia Center, which offers hiking trails, tennis courts, a swimming pool, studio spaces, special events, and the nonprofit Phoenix Arts Gallery, where Emily Gentry says starting this coming school year, LGBTQ plus students will gather for art classes. Phoenix Art was actually the entity that had the initial dream for this program. Um, they approached us and they said we'd really like to do an after-school arts program, but we're not large enough and we don't have the staff or the resources to put something like that together. Well, Mount Sequoia works a lot with children. Uh, we have a summer day camp program for kids 5 to 12, um, so it's definitely in our wheelhouse. We love, we love kids, and so I thought it was a perfect marriage of art and youth, and so we applied for a grant um, with the Walmart Foundation, and we were successful. We were granted that money, so it's funding 18 months of the program. The after-school arts program, named FIRE for Phoenix Youth Refuge Experience, says gallery manager Taylor Johnson, will be open to older students. Focusing on junior high and high school students because they have, you know, a little bit more focus to do art activities. We chose the word refuge because we want this to be a safe, comfortable, community connecting space for these youth. And then the experience, we just want to have fun. You know, at the end of the day, like, it's important to get together and have these conversations with each other and these connections, but we also want to teach some really cool art. Registration starts Monday, July 11th. The first day of the program is going to be August 22nd. We wanted to wait a week so the students could get settled into, you know, school. And, you know, it's always a change starting a new, a new grade and, you know, new teachers and things. The fire courses will occur weekly. During the school semesters, um, fall and uh, spring and fall, uh, the program days will be 4.30 to 6.30, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, we'll have kind of a group get-together, decompression, snack time um, towards the beginning. From 5 to 6, we'll have about, you know, we'll have that hour for uh, artists to come and teach. And then we'll have, you know, kind of closing remarks and saying bye to everybody. So it's going to be a nice, it's going to be a really nice thing. And all art instructors identify as LGBTQ+. It kind of takes on a mentorship role, and they can talk about their lives. The mentor can kind of guide and, and teach something cool. And then I am also really, really proud to say that we do have um, money in the budget for art therapists. I actually have two of them that are on board for, uh, you know, to come in and be there in case anybody needs it. And uh, we also have money in the budget for, uh, for outward, outbound referrals for therapy. So we've got the bases covered. It's really nice. Various art disciplines will be offered. So we have photographers. Actually, uh, my friend Kat Stone, who's here today, will be teaching a photography course. Uh, we have um, a new ceramic studio being built, so we'll have people doing ceramics. We'll have people doing woodworking, uh, you know, all kinds of visual art, collages. Um, I mean, you name it, we have it. Yeah, it's, it's exciting. Exhibits of after-school program artworks will take place at the end of each semester at Phoenix Art Gallery Complex located on Mount Sequoia Center. And hopefully we'll have some live music, we'll have snacks, beverages, uh, teachers, parents can come in and see what's been worked on. People from the community can just come together and celebrate some awesome creations that were made.
But Taylor Johnson says this after-school arts program will also provide safe space for LGBTQ plus youth who often encounter emotional, psychological, and physical obstacles. Due to state laws enacted by Arkansas's conservative majority legislature to limit gender-affirming medical care for LGBTQ plus youth and block participation in public school and college sport, these youngsters face increasing stigma and prejudice. So security will be provided for Phoenix Youth Refuge Experience participants, says CEO Emily Gentry. I will say that we do take security very seriously up here. Um, for our camp program, we require IDs for parents. If we have a staff member who doesn't know who is picking up a child, I, I ask for their ID. If I haven't met them before, I say, please let me see your ID. Uh, we work with parents and youth. This will be a little bit older of youth for us, so we're going to be navigating the security of that. Um, but we do have a secure campus in which we can lock the doors and in which we want people to feel safe. For details and registration for the free LGBTQ plus after-school arts program on Mount Scoia Center, which can accommodate up to 40 students, search Phoenix Arts Web starting July 11th. We've also posted a slideshow of the three art installations on Mount Scoia on our news web. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. Cherokee Nation citizen Dwight Birdwell is the first Native American to receive the Medal of Honor for his heroic service during the Vietnam War. President Joe Biden awarded him the military's highest recognition Tuesday at the White House. Birdwell is a former Cherokee Nation Supreme Court Chief Justice, a native of the Bell community in Adair County, and served on the Cherokee Nation's highest court from 1987 to 1999. Today, he continues to practice law in Oklahoma City. First Thursday returns to the historic downtown square in Fayetteville tomorrow, Thursday, July 7th. This month's theme is Ozark's Oasis, and it will feature a pop-up installation in celebration of the 50th anniversary of the Buffalo National River. The installation will feature a woven waterfall composed of retired climbing ropes from Arkansas climbers and weft made of regionally found objects and fibers. Live music, food trucks, and a slow-roll community bike ride will all be happening. The festivities begin at 5.30 tomorrow evening on the Fayetteville Square. This is Ozarks at Large. Thanks for being with us. After ending the 2022 fiscal year with a record budget surplus, Governor Asa Hutchinson has announced plans for a special session of the Arkansas legislature. KUAR's Michael Hiblin has details on the state's revenue report. The Department of Finance and Administration says all major categories came in above forecast and above the same time in the previous year. John Shelnut head of the Office of Economic Analysis and Tax Research, says net available revenue for the year was $1.6 billion 
above what had been originally forecast. So this is the highest surplus we've had. Uh, last year in fiscal year 21, we recorded a surplus of $945.7 and that was the high up to that point. He says volatility in the last couple of years has been the result of uncertainty from the COVID-19 pandemic. Some of the forecast issues involved, when does this all settle back down to normal pre-pandemic levels of growth? We assumed that it would happen in FY22, and it obviously did not. But we, uh, we do assume a lot of this does slow down in current fiscal year 23. Shelnut says the department has planned what he calls a fairly conservative forecast. We assume that corporate income tax collections come back down after a two-year run of very high growth. We have uh, deceleration in sales tax down to uh, less than 2% for the next two years. So I think that's reasonable to come back to normal, essentially, after two years of very high growth. In a statement, Governor Asa Hutchinson said the budget surplus shows the state is collecting too much in tax revenue. He's calling for a special session to begin August 8th. Any issues beyond tax cuts will be announced at a later time, he said, after additional talks with legislative leaders. In Little Rock, I'm Michael Heplin. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, as the population of Northwest Arkansas continues to increase, so does the need for services to help people without permanent shelter. We do uh, two types of laundry here on site. Um, we do donation laundry, so if we think that something missed may need to be cleaned before we get it out. We also do client laundry, so clients can drop off their laundry with us in the morning. Anna Pope reports on the services across our region for unhoused residents. That story and much more on tomorrow's Ozarks at Large at noon and 7 p.m. on KUAF 91.3. And if you've missed previous editions of our show, there are plenty of ways to catch up, including our Ozarks at Large podcast feed. You can find the Ozarks at Large podcast wherever you tend to listen to those things, as well as on your smart speaker by saying, please play Ozarks at Large. The Northwest Arkansas Naturals host the Tulsa Drillers this week at Arvest Ballpark in Springdale. Ticket and promotional information are available online at nwanaturals.com. The Firefly Fling Festival returns to the Botanical Garden of the Ozarks on Saturday, July 16th. This outdoor event features fairy house building, live music, fire dancing, a laser light show, and more. Costumes are encouraged. Tickets and more information can be found at bgozarks.org. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Jay, Oklahoma. Contributors today included Jacqueline Froelich and Michael Hiblin with our partner station, KUAR in Little Rock. Matthew produced today's show. Daryl Sean wrote our theme, titled First Hurrah. And our under underwriting director at KUAF is Ryan Versi. Thanks to everybody, by the way, who helped us reach and then get a bit past our June end of fiscal year fundraiser last month. We raised a bit more than $54,000 to help us end the month and the fiscal year in strong shape. Your contributions mean we can continue to bring you great programming produced inside the Carver Center for Public Radio and from our national partners like NPR. 
Thanks from everyone at Ozarks at Large and KUAF. We mentioned Anna Pope's story tomorrow about services for people without permanent shelter. Also tomorrow, a conversation I've had just recently, as in today, yes. <laughs> with a pair of cast members and the playwright of Flex, mm-hmm. which is now on stage at Theater Squared. It's about growing up in a small town in Arkansas, the role of basketball, and it is directed, written, and performed by black women. That's fantastic. And then on Friday, I have a conversation that's going to be airing. I spoke with Bob Cochran and Dale Carpenter about their brand new book called Reporting for Arkansas. It's about the life and stories told by Jack Hill. Really, really fantastic conversation. It was just a joy to have the two of them here in the studio. Um, And as someone who's not from Arkansas, it was really great to hear about the stories of Arkansas, by Arkansas, and from Arkansas. And that will be, that conversation will air on Friday's show. That's right, yes. Our conversation with the playwright and actors from Flex will air tomorrow. Matthew, how was your 4th of July? It was very boring. I have a wiener dog at home that doesn't love fireworks, and so my wife Emily and I stayed at home and protected his sweet little body from being terrified. I have a 50-pound Australian cattle dog who I think is probably even more terrified (laughs) of fireworks than your dog. So likewise, uh, stayed home and, um, I don't know if protect is the right word, just sort of tried to reassure her that... Eventually, this will all go away. Yes, that's right. Well, it was very nice to have a Monday off. My schedule has been kind of strange because I felt like today is Tuesday all day, and it is, in fact, Wednesday. Yes. And so uh, glad to be back in the swing of things. And the beauty of this show is it happens every day. And so we're excited to have a brand-new show for you tomorrow. Doesn't happen Saturdays. That's true. It does not happen on Saturdays. And there's a reason for that. Because <laughs> we do have... Hey, thank you so much for listening. It's I had a couple of days off, and that is wonderful. What's great, though, is when we come back, you're here with us. So, until tomorrow, from the Carver Center for Public Radio, I'm Kyle Kellums. I'm Matthew Moore. We'll talk again very soon.